Okay, if you have your lesson books, we're in lesson 12. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 2. And the next two weeks are going to be very important. Now, as we begin this lesson, I'm going to ask you a question. And I'd like to get your feedback. What, if you look at right now, what would you say is the greatest threat to the church and your faith? What would you say right now is the greatest threat to the church and your faith? Give me an answer and why you think it is. Maybe you haven't thought about it. What do you think is the greatest threat? Okay, Bruce says false teaching. Why, Bruce? Okay, so it can, it, it can sneak in, catch you off guard, and cause you to believe something that isn't true. That's good, Bruce. Anybody else? What do you think the greatest threat is? Okay, government is what Sam says. Why? Okay, so you, you, you think the government's the greatest threat because they want control of everything. Okay. Anybody else? Betty? Compromise. Why would you say that? Okay. All right, that's good, Betty. And, and that would actually be tied in with what Bruce was saying here. What were you going to say? Okay, so that's really reemphasizing what Betty is saying about the compromise. So you're, okay, so you're, so not just compromise, but the issue of sin, undealt with sin. Anybody else? What do you think is the, one of the greatest threats to the church today and our faith? Alright, so, Lou says, unbelief and the fear of God. Anybody else? Boy, these are great answers. This is not what I expected. What I expected was for somebody to say something like homosexuality or Islam and, and all of those things. Because that's what, what a lot of the rhetoric is out there, is that these are the greatest threats to the church. And, but here's what I want you to understand, is they're not the, the threat to the church at all. They may threaten your well-being, but they're not going to threaten the church. Because the church is going to exist, period, no matter if the government changes or not. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it may not be comfortable to be a Christian. But nothing can take you take away your faith. Nothing can take away Jesus Christ. Even if they persecute you, nothing can take that away. So this is good for you to, to, to say what you're saying because the answer is the greatest threat to the church is from within the church. The greatest threat, you may want to write that down, the greatest threat to the church is from within the church. And the greatest threat to the church are false teachers. See, so when you think about it, homosexuality isn't a threat to the church. When you think about it, it isn't communism. Years ago we used to say communism was the big threat. It's not communism. In fact, the church flourished under communism, still does flourish under communism, when you look at the church in China and Vietnam. You can't stop this work of the Spirit. So it's not those issues. What the greatest threat is is people coming up within... And they did, like Betty would say, compromise or accept sin, and, they res and it results in false teaching, as what Bruce was saying here. And those are the greatest threats to the church. They're from within the church. They're from within the church. Now, I want you to listen to me for a moment, because a lot of times, you know what, because, and notice what Bruce said earlier. He said it's secret, so you're not looking for it. Most of it, you know, we've got the front door and the back door guarded at the church. So a guy coming in here who espouses some cultic view, maybe Mormonism or Jehovah Witness or whatever, we're right on that. We already know. That's wrong. Boom, we're going to deal with it. 
So we're not going to be affected by that, something outright wrong. All right? We're not going to be affected by that. But we don't guard within the church. Because what we're going to see in this passage is that Peter is going to make it very clear that there is a threat to the church and it comes from within us. Because, and, and, and look, you can actually see it today just on your TVs. So, for instance, let me explain something to you. A lot of the health and wealth prosperity, guys, let me, explain, let me just stop. The health and wealth prosperity message is heresy. It is damnable. It is saying that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And if you aren't, there must be something wrong with who? You, in your faith. Now, when you look at the guys who are propagating that message, when you look at their early years, they all started out as gospel-spreading ministers. Maybe they were charismatic, but they were gospel-preaching ministers. Somewhere along the line, they got off track, and they're now teaching a wrong doctrine. This is an example of what I'm talking to you about that these teachers come up from among us. Now you say, well, that's a charismatic service, but we're Baptists, we don't need to worry about that. No, we do need to worry about that. Because even in our Baptist circles, they come up from among us, and their teaching may not be a health and wealth message, but it may be another message of compromise. It may be another message that is deadly, that says that you can do whatever now. So we're going to talk about it, because you're going to see the motivation of these ministers. Now here's what I want you to understand. When we look at chapter 2 of Second Peter, this is a great chapter. It's probably the most definitive description of false teachers in the New Testament. Jesus, of course, taught about it. Other, other apostles, Peter, I mean, Paul taught about it. Other writings talk about it. But this is the most definitive. Chapter 2 is the most definitive. And what I want you to notice about chapter 2 is the focus is not so much on the teaching. Because it's not so much that we need to go around and inspect everybody's teaching. The focus of this passage is what you're going to see is their lifestyle and their motivation. Because there are false teachers who can propagate the right message, but by their lifestyle and by their motivation, lead a church in the wrong way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when we talk about false teachers, we're not necessarily talking about a doctrine that's wrong. You can say the right things. Because they know the right things because we're going to see in a moment they come up from what? From among us. So they know the message. But what you're going to see is, is that their whole motivation and everything is wrong. So let's, let's look here together. First of all, let's look at verse 1 through 9. We're going to talk about the existence of them. Notice what he says. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot 
who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented in his righteous soul from seeing and hearing, hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Okay, let's talk first of all the existence of these teachers. First of all, their presence. Just as there were false prophets among Israel, there are false teachers among the church. Now, remember, when you read through the Old Testament, you read about Israel, what was one of the things that Israel always struggled with? Idolatry. And the other thing they struggled with is, the reason why they were going off into idolatry is because the kings would often have, what? False prophets who would say, it's okay to do this, it's okay to do that. Go ahead, God's going to bless you. In fact, they would, I want you to notice something. The message from the false prophets was that Jehovah is going to bless them. They had a message from Jehovah. Now, oftentimes when you read through the minor prophets, especially in Ezekiel, he'll say, you know, God will say through Ezekiel, when did I speak to them? When did I ask them to speak to me? You'll see things like that in the minor prophets, meaning that these people are speaking a message from me that I never gave them. And they're leading Israel astray. So just as Israel had to deal with false prophets, so when you look in your Bibles there and it says, just as there were false prophets among the people, he's specifically there talking about Israel, there are going to be false teachers among us. So let's just stop for a moment. This is not something that you can take for granted. Because you could say, oh, you know, we're just little old Kerwinsville Christian Church in the midst of Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. We don't really need to worry about this one because we know everybody. When you get in a small church, you know everybody, right? That does not mean you should not still guard against false teachers. Because in a second, you're going to see the characteristic of a false teacher. You're going to see where they come from. And just let me explain something to you. Is this, just to help you understand, does, does, is everybody in the church saved? Do you know who the saved people are? Is it possible to be deceived about your salvation? And remember the parable Jesus gave about that a sower went out and he sowed seed, and in the evening the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And the angels said, when the servants said, well, let's pull them up. And they said, no, let's wait until the end, until the harvest, and then we'll separate them, and then those who aren't, the tares will be burned at that point. And the whole point of the passage is, is among the godly, among the remnant, are those who don't know Jesus. So that's a point you've got to remember now. So, so just as there were false prophets among Israel, there are false teachers among the church. Now let's go on. I want you to notice with me exactly what it says there. Even as there were false, false teachers among you. So here's what I want you to see. These false teachers will arise from within the church. These false teachers will rise up from within the church. They'll come from within the church. So I want you to understand that. This is not something that they just, something happens to them outside of the church. These folks are from within the church and they, they rise up with their false doctrine. And, and listen, this is something you've got to be aware of. So you've got to be on your guard because here's what can happen. Let me, let me explain something to you today. Let me ask you a question. I'll, 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 I'll pose a scenario for you, and I want your feedback so you can help me to understand. 
let's say that I resign next week. And I put in my six-week notice, and then I'm gone. So then the church is without a pastor. What happens next? What happens next? Oh, you start looking for a pastor. All right, so, so there'll be a committee formed or whatever. A group of people will start. What will they do then? As they're looking for a pastor, what will they do? Okay, but you look at their resumes first. Okay, they'll send you a resume. They'll send you a sermon tape. They'll send you a sermon tape. And when you look at their resume, what are you looking at in their resume? You're looking at where they were educated. Okay, so where did they go to school? So where they went to school is very important. Because in what's the assumption? If, you, if they go to school, you'll think that they have been already looked through, that the school did their job, and, and if they're not good, they're going to be weeded out of the school. Is that right? Is that the assumption? Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. So you, and so then when they come, what's the way that we judge them? So the, the committee says, we've got a candidate, we're going to bring him in here, Joe Schmo, next week, and Pastor Joe is a really great guy, and you know, and he's got this, he's from this school, and, and everything, and you're all excited because Pastor Joe's coming, and so Pastor Joe gets up, and he's here, and he preaches, and it is a beautiful sermon, and so then everybody's ready to what? Vote. Okay, because you heard a great sermon. Or you may call him back and he's got a second great sermon. So let me just stop for a moment. So then you get him, and then Pastor Joe turns out to be wrong, bad, a bad guy. He's even start, he starts you know, doing, I mean, what he's teaching is wrong and everything. But you went through the whole standard. In fact, you would even say, some of you would say, well, man, he went to such and such university, they should have weeded him out. What's wrong with that picture of how we choose pastors? Anybody? Maybe you're thinking, I don't know, because that's the way we've always done it. What's wrong with that picture? Think for a moment. Okay, you're right. That never happens. They don't call his references or check where he's pastored before. Okay, so they don't do any investigation. It's, when they look at his resume and they look at his references, they, they say, oh, wow, that's good. He's served here a couple times, and he's from this school, and he's got this degree and everything. Let me explain something to you. It is not the task of Christian universities, are you listening to me, to weed out people from the ministry. Their task is simply to train them for ministry. But you say, well, shouldn't it? I mean, how's the university going to know that? They just teach classes. You understand? Anybody can get a degree from a good school. Okay, so you need to check out their background. What else should we do? Okay, Okay, ask for fervent prayer and the Holy Spirit's guidance. And a lot of churches do that, though, Sam. But that's not, that's not the only thing, because there is a responsibility on our part. What were you going to say, Bruce? Well, uh, that's normal. What you're talking about is normal, but that's not foolproof either, because he's been taught the doctrine. He knows how to answer the questions. you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and there are churches where a pastor will come in and say, well, I believe this, but I won't teach that. Here's, here, here's the thing. Number one, you've got to have a lot of discernment. Number one. Number two, you've got to really investigate who you're talking about. Yep, you're right. And there's no, there's no foolproof way of, of not getting a dud in a church. But we've got to do a whole lot more than just listen to a sermon. So, like, for instance, I've, I've often heard it, heard it espoused, and I've yet to know a church to do it, where you'll say, well, tell me who your neighbors are. Let me call them. Ooh, why do you want to call my neighbors? Here's one thing a church won't do. That would have spared this church some grief if they had done this, is uh, we're going to do a uh, credit report on you. 
there are churches who are starting to do that now. Do you, do you realize that? Because if you don't know how to handle money, and you've got a bad history of not knowing how to handle money, what area are you going to be tempted in? What? Yeah, handling money. You understand what I'm saying? See, there's a whole lot more you can do. See, now what happens is, is this is the reason why we become susceptible to it, Bruce. Is when you go without a pastor, the church gets into a panic mode. And the first thing that comes across their mind in the panic mode is, we've got to get a new what? Pastor. And if the process lasts long, and let's explain something to you, the process may last two years. But after that first year of without one, people start, well, we need to have a pastor. And we get into a panic mode where any living, breathing body is okay as long as he can preach and as long as he's got the credentials. But the problem is, here's the problem. You open yourself up for what? A false teacher. Because you're not willing to, and we want to rush through the process. We want to rush through the process. Yeah. Okay, you've been in that, you've been in that kind of a situation before. Alright. So, does everybody see what I'm saying? There's, there's a whole lot more to it, Bruce. Prayer's gotta be a lot of it. Discernment. See, there are things we overlook for the desperation of getting a pastor. You understand what I'm saying? And what happens is, it's like playing Russian roulette. Churches, when they pick pastors, are playing Russian roulette. You understand what Russian roulette is? You put one bullet in, you spin the chamber, and then you hope when you pull it, it's not the bullet. And so when, past, when churches choose pastors, you're pulling a trigger hoping it's not the bullet. And sometimes it works. Sometimes the process brings, the, the flawed process brings a good pastor, but then sometimes it brings what? A nightmare. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, what I want you to understand is, is that false teachers will come up from among us. Will come up from among us. And they will arise from the church. So, you've got to be careful. So, the greatest threat, my friends, you've got to be on your guard. I mean, how were you... The New Testament describes us as sheep among wolves. We are gullible. So we've got to be on our guard. So let's go on. They secretly bring teachings that will ultimately lead people away from Jesus Christ. Now the issue is here that they secretly bring teachings that will ultimately lead you away from Jesus Christ. Now, I think, let me explain to you, and I know because I come out of this, my ordination is out of this, I think fundamental Baptist churches are in danger of this. What? We're the Bible people. I think fundamental Baptist churches are in danger of this for this very reason. Because we have introduced in our fundamental Baptist churches doctrine outside of the Bible, which is just a modern-day version of Phariseeism, that you're okay with God as long as you're carrying the right Bible, as long as you go to all the services, as long as you tithe, as long as you dress the right way, as long as you don't go to this restaurant or go to that movie... You're okay with God. Now, what's the problem with that? You say, well, well, that's just legalism. My friends, it's not just legalism. It's false doctrine because it's adding something to what? The gospel. It's adding something to the... What do you mean it's adding to the gospel? Because when you begin... Listen. You begin to view your acceptance with God not based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. You begin to view it based upon what Bible do I have? 
whether or not I got a beard or not. Yeah. You know, here, here's my point. You understand? So, we, even in our fundamental churches, are susceptible to this. And so, how do we, how do we fall to that trap? Because we're not discerning about leadership. Let's go on. People will listen to their teaching and follow their ways. This is the very nature of people. The reason why these guys are able to do what they're doing is because people will listen to them and follow their teaching. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I was just reading it this week. I was reading uh, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God this week. Great book. It's amazing. He wrote it 60 years ago, and what he says in it is just as true today. And in it, he talked about that in modern Christianity... Now, remember, he's writing 60 years ago, but you could put it today. He talked about in modern Christianity that the way... the old way of getting with God, which is slow, methodical, and disciplined, is set aside for shallow and the expedient and amusing. And that's what we want our relationship to be with God. But it never brings anything but shallow emptiness. And here's what happens. The way for you to get with God is like what Paul says, to exercise yourself unto godliness. It is, it is strenuous to, to meet with God face to face, to seek after Him, to seek His filling, to be in His Word. But if some guy comes along and says, well, man, all you got to do is just wear the right clothes to be right with God... Which would you choose? Well, you're going to gravitate to the, to the easiest thing to do. And what we have is a church, churches that may be big, two miles, two miles wide, but they're only one inch deep. Their lives are shallow. Because we're, 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 we're advocating fluff, but we're not advocating you getting into the Word and you finding your strength in the Word yourself because it's, what's going to help you in your spiritual life is not coming here and listening to me. What's going to help you in your spiritual life, although I am an aid and I give direction, what's going to help you in your spiritual life is you reading the Word yourself. God speaking to you. You coming in desperation to God and saying to Him, like I was here this morning, I was here walking around in the sanctuary praying this morning, and I said, Lord, I need you. I'm desperate for you. You've got to come into my life. There's no easy fix. We're looking for easy fixes, and this is what false teachers promise are easy fixes. Easy fixes. They do. They, they know us. Did you hear what Bruce said? They lean on the fact that we're lazy. They know us. And listen, Paul would go one step further talking about it, and he's describing the people in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I think it's verse 2, he, he says, or maybe verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but heed to themselves teachers who will what? Tickle their ears. So you want to be told it's okay to do your stuff and be also told that you're okay with God. 
Okay. Yeah. You know what? You can do that. You can find you can find any interpretation of the, of the Bible on the internet. That's right, Bruce. So you're going to look for somebody to justify. They're looking for somebody to justify themselves. Let's go on now. Here's their method. They exploit people for their own personal benefit with deceptive words. Now, here's the key thing about these folks. They're in it for who? Themselves. It's all about them. It's about their ego and their personal benefit. They're in it for themselves. They're not interested in people. People are pawns. People are so that they can get glory. So that they benefit. Now see, that's a fine line. You've got to stop for a moment. Because then you say, how, how in the world do you distinguish that? Remember, there's a fine line between ambition and obedience. And for a pastor, it's a tight walk. And you can start off in obedience, but then get sidetracked by obedience. What's the cause for getting sidetracked by obedience? See, it's the chief sin. It's the chief sin. So, here's what I want you to see. So, they, they exploit people for their own personal benefit with deceptive words. Listen, I want you to understand something. They're eloquent speakers. They can preach up a storm. Do you understand why now it's so important that you don't just judge him by his pulpit ministry? Eloquency is not the issue. Let's go on now. The word exploit means to commercialize or to make a profit from. So so you understand, they're exploiting you so that they profit from it, so that they commercialize. So it's all for their benefit. You've got to be so careful. They will come up from what? Among us. The exploitation is for for personal profit, for commercialization. Okay, while it seems that they are not accountable, because you look at these guys and you say, how are they getting away with it? While it seems that they are not accountable, Peter says their judgment is sure. Their judgment is sure. So you've got to remember something. These men are marked for death. These men are marked for death. Now, he's going to go ahead and give us some examples of what we're talking about here. As he talks about the surety of their judgment, he's going to give us some examples of God's judgment to help us to understand these guys are not going to get away with it. So the first one is this. God did not spare the angels who sinned. God did not spare the angels who sinned. So, I mean, they're condemned. They're going to face judgment. All right? Let's go on. God judged Noah's world with a flood because of their sin. God judged Noah's world because of their sin. So he didn't spare Noah's world. He's trying to, he's trying to give us some examples of the surety of God's judgment. So God judged Noah's world because with the flood because of their sin. All right, here's the other one. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of his judgment on sin. Let me just stop for a moment. I need to make a point here. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah judged? Anybody? 
Okay, as an example, but what's, was, was there any particular sin? We always hear this these days. That sin did exist, but I, I'm going to say to you, that is not the reason why they were judged. All right? You say, what do you mean? It's mentioned that they were there. There were Sodomites there. Yep. But the Sodomites were there because as a reflection of the society itself. So, for instance, when you go to Romans chapter 1, and you read in Romans chapter 1, where Paul talks about the pagan, and he starts off that they failed to give thanks, and then he goes down and gives a digression, that the end of the digression of that society is homosexuality. So what we're seeing here is, is that, so this is what's happening in the United States, my friends. What's happening in the United States is a digression of the entire culture, not just one sin. Because you, you say, what do you mean? It just wasn't just the sin of homosexuality. Well, remember now, if you remember the Old Testament, Lot's daughters were influenced by their culture, so they had sex with who? Their father. You understand? An incestuous relationship. What I want you to see is, where did they learn that? It wasn't from the homosexual. It was from the culture. So God judged that culture for its wanton, reprobate sinfulness. Not just one sin, but a multitude of sins. You understand what I'm saying? Now, let me just stop for a moment. What does that say about our culture? See, we want to put it on one group. That group, that's sin. But can I be honest with you? The biggest struggle in a church right now isn't homosexuality. It's adultery. It's adultery. Okay, we accept adultery. Yeah, okay, so we've, which is what Betty said, we've, earlier she said, we've compromised. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. Let's add to the thing of compromise. A pastor falls in the pulpit to adultery. That happens, doesn't it? What's the common response these days from the church? Let it go. Let him go through a process, maybe two years, and then we will gladly, what? Take him back because of his what? Not because of his character, but because of what? Well, not even that. We'll look at what? His gifts. Oh, God has gifted him. Yeah, he messed up, but God gifted him. Let me just stop for a moment. What did we see about the false teacher? What is it about the false teacher? He's got the gifts. Wrong criterion. So now I accept that pastor back. What am I saying about adultery in that church? Yeah, it's okay. See, do you see what I'm saying? I kind of got off track here a little bit, but that's fine. But I want to make a point here. But I want you to see that God's judgment, this is the ultimate issue, is still going to be there. And his judgment was on Sodom and Gomorrah. His judgment's going to be on our country, too. Yeah, we have no excuse. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't see it. And what did Jesus say? It would be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for Capernaum. Because Capernaum saw the miracles of Jesus and rejected. Hey, we saw, we have the testimony of Jesus' miracles. We have the testimony of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what? We tolerate sin within our own churches. We tolerate sin. See, this is the point I want you to see. So, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah as an example 
as an example. Let me just stop for a moment. Before you look at somebody else's sin, let's say the sin of homosexuality. Okay, it's wrong. But before you get angry about it and say, they deserve to go to hell, what is it in your life? Because the same Levitical passage that says that, that it is an abomination unto God and they need to be stoned, just a few verses before that says that adultery is wrong and that person needs to be stoned. Same passage. We just kind of look over that one. Because let's be honest, every one of us here knows somebody who's committed adultery, right? Right? And we're, we're accepting of that. Okay, let's go on. Here's the next point. God spared righteous Lot from the destruction. So he goes on and he says, even in spite of the judgment, he spared righteous Lot from the judgment. Now listen, here's the other point. This is a great verse. This is, I, I like this verse next. You say, you like this verse? Yeah, because here's what it says. Lot was oppressed and tormented daily by the filthy conduct of the lost. You know what, my friends? You maybe not wake up to it, but you're being tormented daily by the billboards, by the TV shows. You're being tormented daily. If you don't realize it, you need to wake up to the reality. If you've grown... Here's what happens. Do you, have you noticed it's, it's subtle? It's not abrupt. It's subtle. The shifting is subtle because... And here's what it is. You just sit in front of your TVs every night and you bombard yourself... And before you know it, you're accepting of stuff that you would have never accepted before. Because you're just bombarding your mind with TV. Now, listen, again, I'm not going to say don't watch your TV. There's a lot of great things on TV. But, my friends, there's a lot of things that aren't good on TV. And you've got to watch what you're saying. Now, here's the other problem. I want you to examine how much time you spend in front of the tube and how much time you spend in front of the Word. Who gets the most amount of time? Well, I did my five minutes with Jesus, but I did my three hours last night with Fox or CBS or NBC or A&E or the History. I watched the History Channel, George. Cooking. Listen, even those things can give you subtle messages that you don't realize. See, here's what I'm trying to say to you. You, Lot was oppressed and tormented daily. You need to recognize that the culture is going to oppress you daily. Okay, let's go on now. So then, notice the deliverance of the godly. God knows how to deliver the godly from temptation. God knows how to deliver you from temptation. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in, in his prayer, in the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into what? Temptation. But deliver us from evil. God knows how to deliver the godly from temptation. And then finally, God reserves judgment for the unjustified. Who's the unjustified? The unsaved. He reserves judgment for them. All right, now next week, we're going to get into a detailed description of false teachers. And I'm going to tell you something. I have met them. And they are wearing the label Baptist. And they're real. But you need to be aware of what it is about their demeanor, about their attitude, and about their actions so that you can understand 
that they are the greatest threat to the church. Let's pray.